NCX Group, the leader in information security consulting, is proud to present Bite Size Security. Here now is NCX founder and CEO, Mike Fitzpatrick. Hey, welcome back to Bite Size Security. This is your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. I'm really excited today to have my good friend, Joe Weiss, who is the managing partner of Applied Control Solutions on with me today. Joe is an absolute expert, the foremost authority in the world on all things SCADA and things that are cyber vulnerable. Joe, how are you today? Joe, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? There you are. How are you doing Sorry today? About that. I'm doing fine, and thank you very much for having me on. I think it's important to get the message out. Well, it's always a fun conversation um, with you and I because uh, the first time we met, we hit it off really well, and, and um, the, the fun part for me was your introduction at the Poneman Conference, and we're both fellows at the Poneman uh, Institute. You know, when, when Joe says when, when uh, SCADA systems get hacked, people die, and it just has always stuck with me, uh, especially in light of several things that are going on these days, but Let's start with a, a bit of an introductory um, outline of what SCADA systems are. What do they touch? Why should people care about SCADA systems? Okay. Well, first of all, let me, number one, define what SCADA is, then give you a little bit of background about what it is and what it does. SCADA stands for Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition. Um, there's actually two types of, if you will, master control systems, one being SCADA and another being called a plant distributed control system. These are, if you will, the systems that these screens and, and, and everything else where the operator is sitting and it's presenting a view of what is going on, whether in a power plant and a pipeline and a refinery and what SCADA or a plant distributed control system are there for are to monitor the operations so that the operator knows what's going on and the information can be, if you will, stored, for later analysis. But I also want to point out one other thing. When you're talking about the operation of anything physical, whether it's a pipeline, a power plant, or anything else, you have sensors like, you know, you think of a body, somebody puts, you know, you, you have a thermometer to measure your temperature. You have these sensors that are measuring constantly temperatures and pressures and flows and voltages and current. And what is happening in real time, it literally within milliseconds, is if those sensors detect that the system is changing in real time, really even independent of that SCADA system, 
the controllers are going to change the process in real time. The operator isn't going to see it for many seconds to many minutes. So what I want to also get across is it's like driving your car. If you've got things like, you know, cruise control, the sensors are monitoring how fast you're going in real time. And the sensors then tell, you know, the, 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 the fuel or the brakes, but particularly the fuel, you know, for your speed to, to change it as necessary, either to speed up or to slow down. As the driver, you're not doing any of that. That's what we're really talking about, this real-time control. And if things happen in the wrong way, you know, people die and equipment gets, you know, damaged or blown up. It's a very big deal. Well, okay, so... I mean, we talked about this once before as far as the flow and the pressure valves and because SCADA systems control things that are mechanical, right? Mechanical and electrical. So we see these with elevators. We see these with um, roller coaster rides at, at any of the amusement parks. We see them with, uh, not with building control systems, but we see them with nuclear power plants, the power grid, water treatment facilities, those kinds of critical infrastructure. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah, and including building control systems. Okay. The, the, what you're doing is, I mean, the same thing can be said of even, you know, medical devices. What you're doing is you're monitoring real conditions. Like I say, pressure, level, flow, temperature voltage, current, motor speed, whatever. And you're making sure it is where it's supposed to be. And if not, it's automatically changed. So the people that you're working with are are different than the folks that we work with every day from a cybersecurity standpoint. You're working with guys, as I recall, that are more mechanical engineers than cybersecurity or computer engineers. Is that true? Correct. Yes. And that believe it or not, is part of what led to what happened with the Colonial Pipeline. Well, let's walk through... What's happening is... Let's walk through the Colonial Pipeline, because that's in the news, and, um, you know, you and I talked a little bit before, and and it isn't what I thought it was. So, tell us us what what actually happened. Yeah, and I can, again, I'm going to give you what I know, and also what makes sense. Because obviously not everything has been made public yet. What happened with Colonial, let's start out by, in a sense, where it was. What you would have had was two sets of networks. One for all of the pumps and the valves and the motors, if you will, what might be called operational technology. And then you had another one which was your information technology networks, which would store long-term all kinds of both business data and even some of the operational data that wasn't needed for real time. Well, what happened was you started getting this intermingling between the OT 
and the IT. And a lot of the information that was necessary to operate the pipeline originally was not on these networks, but then was put onto the IT network. So the IT network generally would have things like billing, scheduling, you know, things that you wouldn't think about being needed in real time. More of the traditional things. Like a, more of the traditional things that we look at from a cybersecurity and, and operational security within a business. Correct. So um, your business data, your billing, you know, your customer information is what normally sits on this, uh, excuse me, the IT network. Whereas the things that are needed to monitor and control the pipeline in real time would be sitting on what's called the OT network. Well, what's happening now is you have this thing called the IT-OT convergence, where you start mixing these two. Now, theoretically, you segment them off so that you've got firewalls or other things between the IT and the OT. But apparently what happened with Colonial is some of the critical information needed for the operation, not for the operational networks, but for the operation of the pipeline was on the IT networks. And when the IT networks was hit with the ransomware attack and all of the information on the IT networks was basically encrypted, they lost the ability, number one, to know what to build, but number two, to even know what was in the pipeline. So that loss of this information necessary to operate the pipeline safely is what required them to have to shut it down. And what surprised me and I think surprised others is it wasn't because the dark side um, attackers got access to what's called the OT network, but because of how the information, they were able to, without knowing it, I don't believe for a minute that DarkSide knew what, what they were doing. They just wanted to, if you will, you know, hold data for ransom and get paid for it. And they were just looking at who would click on a link and basically come to one saying, if you want your data back, you have to pay me. So Totally the, unintended consequence. So you think that the, this was totally un, unintended consequence of a ransomware attack on the business side of Colonial Pipeline? That this Correct. wasn't necessarily, as I thought, and as we were talking beforehand, you thought initially Man, this is SCADA. This is infrastructure. They went. They shut down a pipeline. They they you know they manipulated a valve. They 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 compromised a PLC. What whatever the case may be, you know that's where my mind was. So 
that's where my mind was initially. But what, what got me wondering was, if you do that, then physical things would happen. A pipe would leak. A pipe true. would break. Something physically would happen. What, excuse me, what bothered me is I wasn't hearing anything that there was any physical issues with the pipeline. I haven't, I, words, I, Joe, I didn't hear a word on that either. And I went looking because most of the pipelines in this nation are four feet underground. They're patro- patrolled on a regular basis, both on foot, in vehicles, and by air. And so yeah. the the question that I had was, okay, is this above ground? And I went looking and really couldn't find anything on it one way or another. But, um, I, I mean, it's it's really interesting from, from the perspective of not knowing what is in what pipe. You know, and the analogy that you were using, okay, is it kerosene? Is it jet fuel? Is it regular unleaded? What What is it that, that's in the pipe? I mean, did it take them five days to figure out or six days or seven days or whatever it is to actually get the ransomware remedied? Or did it take them that long to figure out what was in each pipe? It really took them that long from everything I'm gathering. Because one of the things I read is after paying the, um, you know, the ransom, they got a decryption key and it was so slow it was useless to them. You know, they basically manually rebuilt everything. Well, you know, the, the, and it took that long to be able to do it. It's, you know, the thing that I saw a new statistic, I think it was probably about two or three weeks ago. Typically what happens in ransomware attacks 40% of the time, 45% of the time, you're not getting your data back. You're, you're, you're not getting it back. Um, yeah. there's a new statistic that I saw, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, that that number is now 92% of the time. You're not getting your data back. And we know that, you know, from the statistics of, of what, you know, the work that the Poneman Institute does that Larry and Susan and the team do over there, we know that, um, you know, what is it, 55, 53% of all small and mid-sized businesses had a cyber breach or a cyber event of some kind last year. And then of that 53, 55%, 60% are out of business within six months is what is typical. If you mm-hmm. can't get your data back and you cannot rebuild and your backups are worthless, you're out of business then. The, the cost of that event and the exfiltration of data that is now going on with said event um, will absolutely ruin businesses, not only on the on your side of the world, but on on mine. And it's it's amazing how little effort still goes into doing basic cyber hygiene, basic cybersecurity, basic um, just follow through on these events. And we see it time and time and time again. It is, we've been writing articles and I know Joe has for a long time um, on, on the same things year in, year out. And you expect people to get better at this, but I swear it seems as though they're getting worse and maybe it's the added layers of complexity. I'm not sure what it is. What, why, why do you think it's getting worse or appears to be getting worse? Well, 
several reasons. Number one, I agree with most of, of what you're saying. Things are, are, go, are becoming more and more complex, especially as you want to have this convergence, okay? Uh, number two, there has been a lot of training, if you will, and, and focus on the IT side of the world, not near as much on the control system side. So there's also still this culture gap that's there. So that, like what happened with Colonial, the focus was instantaneously on, you know, what people may have thought the problem was, not what the problem really was. You can take that further when you look at things like Stuxnet. What sophisticated attackers are going to do is make equipment mal, you know, make a cyber attack look like an equipment malfunction. So you're not even looking for it. But it's just what's happening is. There is just so many more people and governments who realize that cyber is such a, a powerful, powerful tool. Um, you know, a non-nation state can Joe, you dropped out there. Something as trivial as you, that ransomware. You dropped out for some reason. I'm not sure why. Oh, sorry about that. But something as trivial as ransomware brought pretty much the southeast and middle Atlantic of the United States to a standstill. You know, it's it's funny because as you're saying that, I'm thinking back to probably 10 or 12 years ago, my son and his best friend from across the street, we were on our way to a football game and both of them were at, you know, I guess they were eight or nine at the time and uh, were, were involved in the, uh, the whole, you know, military and playing army and, you know, all those fun things that, that little boys do. And uh, I'm going, guys, you know, at some point in time, it's not going to be bullets and bombs. It's going to be electronic and it's going to be cyber events. And that's how these things are going to play out now. And that, you know, and it's interesting because we've seen this now several places around the world at different times. And I, I guess the question that, that comes to mind, Joe, is how do we get more attention on critical infrastructure? The last time that we spoke, we talked a little bit about uh, the lack of cyber assessments in the power grid and along with water districts and power plants. And I mean, do, do SCADA systems and control systems, and I'm, I'm sure the answer to this is yes, but do they run wind and solar plants as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and then I also want to take you a step further to what you just said to show how that gap still exists. But measuring Pressure, level, flow, temperature, voltage, current, position. Measuring physical things is what every organization that is doing something 
physical has to do. You know, whether it's a solar facility, a wind facility, a nuclear facility, a hospital, pipeline, ship. I mean, think of the human body. Everything we do starts with our fingers or our ears or our nose, in other words, sensing something. And that goes to our brains, which is the control system. But everything starts with a measurement and then goes to the controller. And that doesn't matter whether it's manufacturing, whether it's, you know, the smart refrigerator. What is it doing? It's, you know, monitoring the temperature and the humidity and potentially, um, the, uh, you know, uh, how loaded, if you will, or full the refrigerator is to know how to, you know, what it should adjust settings for. You, you start talking about this, you can almost eliminate whether the, the, the term, am I talking about water? Am I talking about chemicals? Am I talking about you know, medical devices. You to, like I say, go back and think of the human body. You sense something and then you do something about it. Functions almost the same. Universal. Way. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned, and I mean, it was this was big in the news, and they're still trying to figure this part out and how deep this well actually goes is solar winds and uh you know the impact that this may have on control systems and and building systems what are your thoughts on that supply chain attack well number one there it, it it's sophisticated as can be but here here's one of the there's a number of things about solar winds that's really interesting first of all before solar winds occurred, how many people had even heard of solar winds? Just IT, I know when just that IT first people. Happened, I thought they were talking about some type of weather event. No, just the IT people. The IT people knew exactly just, what it was. Not even the IT, the network people. Well, that's true. Okay. I talked to some IT people who didn't know. The network people knew all about it you know, what solar winds was. But what it says is the Russians picked such a phenomenal, if you will, uh, critical supply chain because this was pretty much ever, this was inherent in Windows. I mean, Microsoft was affected by this. Who'd have thought you could find something that would be so pervasive? So that was number one. Number two, solar winds in Orion, which was that product, used all of the things you would expect to be used in a very, very, very secure system. It had two-factor authentication. It had digital certificates. It had signed, uh, you know, um, firm, you know, firmware software upgrades. Everything you would say should be there was there. What this demonstrated is a dedicated, sophisticated nation state 
that really wants to get you is going to get you. Well, and it also points it's, it also points to, you know, because of uh, targeted in the pandemic and everything else. I mean, we know when you have a when you have a robust security program from A to Z, the time from breach to detection is typically 280 days. By the time they found this one, it was 278 days, so almost spot on. Um, then you couple that with the pandemic and everybody working remote and out of the office. There's a whole question on visibility at, at that point in well, time that comes from that. And then you've got the, then you've got this final piece. And this is what I think. I don't believe that this would have been detected yet if they hadn't been so brave with Mandiant FireEye in what they attempted there. That was, that's exactly where I was coming from. And, and here's where it became, becomes, again, another really interesting piece. Mandian FireEye is one of the top, top, top cybersecurity organizations. I don't even see companies, organizations in the world. Okay. Mandian FireEye had their tools stolen. Mm-hmm. This was Mandian FireEye found this after their tools were stolen. The government, DHS, DOE, you can keep on going. You know, all of these organizations didn't see it until Mandiant FireEye disclosed it. And Mandiant FireEye didn't disclose it until after they found they were breached. Well, and it was the same with Microsoft. Microsoft didn't see it either. Absolutely. So part of where I'm coming from, and I say this as you know, a control system engineer. You are in a forever whack-a-mole game when you're talking about networks. No matter what you do, really, 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 really smart others are going to be working just as hard to find whatever weaknesses they do and one of our biggest weaknesses is people ransomware is a people problem it's somebody clicking you could do everything you want but if somebody clicks it's going to happen and so one of the issues that i have is you know will quantum get us out of this you know there's hope but certainly, short of quantum, we're going to forever be in this whack-a-mole position of putting in new technology, having that technology compromised, and having to come up with additional technology. Well, and we're at that point now. I mean, with the forced digital transformation that has taken place over the last 14, 15 months, I mean, people might have, companies might have a, a plan for... Um, you know, everything shut off or, or have to be out of the office for a few days, but then it was two weeks, then it was a month, then it was six months, and now we're at 14. No one's got a real plan for that. One of the statistics well, that I that I heard recently that was really interesting to me, and this is really true, so typically for a typical organization, 
they'll do one to three IT projects per year based upon budget, based upon need and evaluation and, and all of those things. This is a quote from a CISO back on the East Coast, and right now his name is escaping me, so I'm not able to give him full credit. But I've heard this now from several of my colleagues in the world of cybersecurity, and that is instead of doing one to three projects, we may have done a decade's worth of projects in one year. So that's 10 to 30 projects just to survive. Now, the problem is they don't know where the, where the holes are right now. And because it's all changed and evolved and gone cloud, all of the attack vectors have now changed. And the tools that we have for finding those things, um, we're, we're scrambling. Can you think about solar winds for a minute? Solar winds can be an integral part of every one of those 14 projects you just said. Without a doubt. You know, I wanted to mention one other thing, too. You know, you had asked earlier about, are we learning? What are we doing? Last Thursday, it was May 12th, President Biden issued an executive order on cybersecurity. I saw that. Well, here's where it gets interesting from my side of the world as a control system engineer. In that 18-page executive order, the word SCADA, control systems, industrial control systems, cyber physical systems, All of those terms, excuse me, none of those terms, not one of them was used in the executive order. The term OT, operational technology, was used, I think, three times. And one of them, what they were talking about, made no sense calling OT a service because they were equating it to IT. The point being, the executive order on cybersecurity, which was issued not even, you know, just a little over a week ago, had effectively nothing to do with control systems. In fact, I had put out a blog because I took five real control system cyber attacks that have already occurred and went through and said, would the executive order have applied to those? And the answer was no. The executive order to me seemed rather more than anything specific. And I I know there's several people in my world that, that said, oh, well, this is a great first step. Well, it's really not a first step. I mean, the government has been trying to deal with state with with cybersecurity since President Obama and the creation of the first cybersecurity czar and and all this stuff. And with Trump, it evolved into CISA. So, I mean, they've been trying to take steps around this. So, in some respects, I thought the executive order was okay, and I thought part of it was kind of fluff. 
to be honest with you. Well, here's where it's interesting. The first presidential order dealing with critical infrastructure cybersecurity was Presidential Decision Directive 63, PDD 63, which was issued in May 1998. Yeah, okay, yeah, I remember that. Here we are, and this is part of what I'm saying too. The lack of our grids, of our refineries, of our pipelines, and anything else being cybersecure has transcended how many presidential administrations? PDD-63 was issued by President Clinton in 1998. And we still have no cybersecurity in anything we measure today. What's wrong with this picture? Well, you you wonder why they haven't gone through and and reinforced the power grid and and several several of the other elements of critical infrastructure to ensure that they're safe from EMPs and and other events. But I in mean that's that's a question for a different show. Yeah, in two thousand seven, March of two thousand seven, the Idaho National Laboratory did the what was called the Aurora demonstration where they effectively destroyed a diesel generator, showing that cyber could do the same thing as sticks of dynamite. That was in March 2007. You know, you had a CNN tape made of that event. To this day, our grid is still at risk from Aurora. This is how you bring the grid down for nine to 18 months. And I think the last time that we talked, and we only have a few minutes left, but the last time that we talked about this, there were only two power companies that had actually gone through and conducted a, an Aurora cybersecurity assessment. Is that, yes. is that still the case or has there been a few more? Yes. And, and let me, let me re- recharacterize it. So it doesn't come out wrong. You got it. There were two electric utilities in the United States that were willing to work with the Department of Defense. This isn't even DOE or DHS. The Department of Defense and installing hardware mitigation for Aurora. Two. That was it. And unfortunately, even those two, because of executive changes, the champions for that in both of those utilities left. You know, theoretically, all of the utilities were supposed to have done assessments and done something about this. Now, that's two out of how many? And by the way, these two were so small, they didn't even have what are called NERC, SIP, Critical Infrastructure Protection, critical Devices. But this is how out of how many power companies are out there, Joe? Oh, you know, again, depending on how you count them, when you count the small ones, it could be as many as 2,000. And these were small. The idea of saying only the, the big ones would look, 
These were small. One of them was so small, they didn't even own a generator. The reason they wanted to do it, one of their biggest customers, and they built a substation for that customer. It was one of the largest, it is one of the largest food processing facilities in the country. And it turns out if they lose power, it could cost them literally on the order of a million dollars an hour. Wow. Well, we go, go ahead and finish the thought. Yeah. It's just Aurora is a physical problem that requires engineers to address. And what makes it different, and the reason I want to go through this, is, you know, Andy Greenberg at Wired Magazine wrote an article, 30 lines of code destroyed a 27-ton diesel generator. He was wrong. It was zero lines of code destroyed a 27-ton generator. All of our equipment are quote-unquote physics-based. So if you make them operate in a regime that is, you know, could put undue stresses on it, it'll break. All Aurora did using no malware, zero, is put that generator in a position where physics broke it. Mother Nature broke it. And we're not talking shut it down. We're talking as if you put, you know, sticks of dynamite. It physically destroyed the generator. This is what can be done when you get to the hardware that runs our country, or not just our country, any of the countries. Well, there's a there's definitely an interesting uh, book that I read recently, and um, and it's it's really around your world. A uh, book called Sandworm. It, it's uh, yes. it, fantastic on cyber warfare and critical infrastructure. If uh, you get a chance to download the audio book or go to Amazon and buy it, it is well worth the read. And people that are not in the same world that Joe and I are can understand it. My wife actually listened to it and enjoyed every minute of it. But Joe, we For are out. It's worth. We're out of time, bud. Okay. So I was just going to mention one thing about Sandworm. Go ahead. What we're talking about, Aurora, is what was in Sandworm and wrong. Interesting. Well, we're going to have to do another one of these soon. So where can people, how can people get a hold of you? How can they uh, stay in contact with you? Where are you going to be? Okay. Um, Number one, I put a blog out. The blog is at www.controlglobal.com slash unfettered, U-N-F-E-T-T-E-R-E-D. 
my email, if people are interested, is joe.weiss, J-O-E dot W-E-I-S-S at real, R-E-A-L, time, T-I-M-E, A, C as in Charlie, S as in Sam dot com, joe.weiss at realtimeacs.com. And I am an independent consultant and would love to, you know, work with people on trying to better secure their uh, control systems. So with that, thank you very, very much for having me on. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. It's always a lot of fun and always a lot more questions than we have answers for or are most times time for. But uh, thank you much. Until next time, folks, this is Mike Fitzpatrick with Bite Size Security. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Security, presented by NCX Group. For the latest updates in information security, please visit our site at ncxgroup.com. NCX Group can also be found on Facebook and Twitter as NCX Group. Thanks for listening.